Hello, my name is Eric Normand, and I'm writing a book called The Theory of Functional Programming. And in this show, I explore the ideas, and then I'm going to have them transcribed, and I'm going to use it to start my book. So you get to hear them, hear the ideas before the book comes out, hear them raw, and listen to me develop them. So, if you're into that, welcome. So I'm talking about a definition of functional programming. We've already gone through uh, the different parts of functional programming. That everything is broken down into three pieces. Data, function, uh, calculations, and actions. And during the actions explanation, I was talking a lot about how it's about collapsing the different states, the possible states, that there are different patterns that we use as functional programmers to reduce the possible states so that they become easier to reason about. And I think that this is something that we should, we should talk about a little bit more, because it's, it's actually something that isn't talked about much in imperative programming. That even though everything in imperative programming is an action, meaning everything potentially depends on when it is run or how many times it is run, there's almost no safety or no analysis of what that entails. What does it entail? Well, that your program, without, without this analysis, your program can't run in a parallel environment. Their resource sharing is all done ad hoc and usually in a buggy way. That you, it's very hard to do modularity. It's hard to have modules because everything is bound up in time. Sorry, there's a garbage truck. Everything is bound up in time. And so you you can't trust that what you're the thing that you're using is going to is going to be safe to use because something else might be using it uh, and the the time that the time that you use it when you use it becomes uh, an issue and if you can't control when you use it then you can't control how your system will execute and so what you often see and these come up much more in the parallel in the parallel system right in a sequential program you can compa uh, control when things run because there's only one thing running at a time and every imperative statement is happens after the last right but even if you get into something like javascript which has a single thread of control yet there are multiple things happening 
for instance, Ajax requests that are in flight, you can't control when the callback is going to be called for that Ajax request. Also, stuff is going to be happening on the server, so you're in a distributed system, right? So even as in a system as simple as JavaScript, you start to face these issues of, of order, of when things happen, of how many times they happen. So you can't really rely on those shared things because at any point a callback could uh, if you if you rely on you can't rely on the order of callbacks, and so there's a lot of ad hoc solutions to this that you see springing up. So what functional programming really tries to do is to collapse these possible states into. A, a reasonable subset of the states that that you can rely on. So I talked about this, I'll just give a few more examples, or I'll repeat some examples. So in a system with transactional actions, so these transactions let you do a a series of actions within the transaction so that you maintain the acid semantics so that they're all or nothing what you get is serialized actions so you compose an action uh, with you compose multiple actions together into a single action that single action happens as a transaction so that nothing, that, that those actions will never be interleaved with other actions in that same transaction boundary or context. What this guarantees is that you don't have any simultaneous actions within that context. Otherwise, if you didn't have the transactions, you could interleave them in a, a number of ways. And the more steps you have in that action, the more ways you can you can uh, interleave. But now what you have is only two ways to interleave. A happens all before B starts, or B happens and finishes before A starts. So you've collapsed this insurmountably huge number of possible states into two. And those two, it still depends on the order. They could give you two different answers, but those two states are both acceptable in many situations. And so you have to decide whether those two possible situations are acceptable in your, in your circumstances, in your domain. Right? If you do need to maintain order, complete order, you probably have to rely on something else. But that's okay, because there's other things. Another thing, if you, if you need complete order, so you need to guarantee that A happens before B, 
what you have is a queue with a single consumer, single worker thread on the end of reading off of that queue. And so it completely orders everything. Right? And so a lot of what we do in this functional programming is this. This this kind of reasoning about the possible states that are acceptable to us. And each one has its advantages, but usually they have what we're more worried about is the shortcomings and how how much are we willing to give up or how much can we give up in terms of control to uh, to and still maintain our invariance and so if we don't really care about order but we can't have any interleaving you see we can give up order and we're fine because in our situation we don't care I feel like uh, I need a worked example on this one. I need to go through an example and show, hey, we don't care about this in this case. So you see, we can use XYZ. We do care about that here. So let's do it. So a good example that I, I like to use a lot for talking about um, concurrency, parallel systems, is a bank. There's a lot of concurrency in a bank, a lot of shared resources in a bank. One thing that banks maintain and uh, really make easy is that people, you, like you write checks to different, let's say you write five checks to five different businesses. Each, each business is going to have its own process for depositing that check in the bank. And they might mail it in, and then the mail is going to be delivered in different orders. And then when they get them, even if they get delivered on the same day, the bank is going to be all mixed up in a bag, and the bank is going to take them out in a different order from the order that you wrote those checks in. So you wrote check 200, then 201, then 203, then 204, then 205, and the bank might not get them in that order. Probably won't. Does that matter? No, it doesn't matter. That's the whole point of a checking account, is that uh, the way they process them, it shouldn't matter. And in fact, you can most banks will let you go negative during the day so you could have a negative balance on your account because you've written you've been spending and depositing so you take a credit and a debit on your account but they allow for more debits than credits because they don't they don't uh, reconcile the account until the end of the day so if all once all the credits are in for that day, then they say, "Hey, you've overdrawn." Right? So they don't want the order to matter at least during that day, right? So a reasonable amount of time for things to get out of order and then to be put back all together, right? Cuz it's just addition and subtraction. 
it's credits and debits. So the order shouldn't matter um, what or like how much you do them. Now, of course, they do have those policies of like, well, if you're overdrawn for two days, you know, whatever their policy is, if you're overdrawn for two days, then now we're going to charge you a fee. Um, but as long as you're making those deposits and credit and taking uh, taking money out back and forth, they're not going to dock you for going under twice in the same day and then coming back over. They won't do that because they know the things come in out of order. And this is this is a concurrency thing. It allows a distributed banking system where everyone is like a node in this network making debits and credits to their centralized account and, and using slow unreliable networks like like the mail so I don't know <laughs> I should I should break this down into uh, how this works in, in functional programming as actions, right? Um, but think of it like the book of your account, the transaction ledger of like every transaction is a data structure, a, a mutable append-only data structure that allows allows things to come in out of order. And instead of comparing, of course, if things come in in different orders, you know, in two different universes, like check one was deposited for check two, and the other one was check two was deposited for check one, you're not going to get the same book, right? The, the checks are going to be written down in the ledger in a different order, but the final balance will be the same. And so that is what you care about you can let the order slip as long as the final balance comes out to be the same which is what all, is all that matters in the end like the same checks get written down regardless of the order and the balance is the same and so this is one of those invariants that you have to you have to have that to have a good banking system uh, but um, it allows for a lot of leeway in how things get implemented and your policies at your bank, what what order things happen in, or whether you can let different people share the work. So, um, you know, one person, one of your employees will handle all of the blue-colored checks, and another person will handle all the red-colored checks, right? Or one person will handle all of the odd number checks and all one person has all the even number checks you can group them however you want right, so that's going into some pretty cool algebra territory which i want to get to in a different section of this talk right now all of this is to say is that you you are collapsing the number of possible states because the more the states the harder things are to manage because states compound. So if there are two states in variable A, so it's just a Boolean, and then you have two states in variable B, another Boolean, and then, so that's four possible states. A could be true and false, 
speak in between false, so it's true, 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 false, 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 true, right? Four possible states. But then you add a third variable that's also Boolean. Now you have eight. You add a fourth variable, you have 16. It doubles each time you add a variable. And that's just for Booleans. That's just two states. And so now you're getting into this state space that is becoming very hard to manage. And what, what you would rather do is have them collapse at some points, right? So did the message from A come in first or the message from B come in first? That's a Boolean, right? A first or B first. It's two different possibilities. Well, if it doesn't matter, boom, we collapse them down to one. It's, it doesn't multiply anymore. Right, so this is a very important property that we can take advantage of to simplify the possible states that we have to reason about in our heads and, and our software has to deal with. Because every state you have is possibly another, um, another conditional, another if state. Alright, so this has been about 17 minutes. And I am, I think I'm done on this topic. Uh, I do want to go over a, a better example, and I promise I'll get one um, soon in, in a future episode. So please, the AIs have, you know, those poor robots, they have no emotions. They feed off of your emotions. The only way they can make good recommendations is by having massive amounts of data about our emotions as humans. So if you please like press the like button, press you know the five star rating, whatever you have to do to tell those robots that you like this show, just do it because they need it. Those poor robots, they have we, we haven't invented artificial emotions yet. So please, please help them out. Click those buttons. Uh, let them help other humans by recommending what's, go what, uh, what's good. All right. See you later. Bye.